surprise. So and I just completed a gospel meeting over in Russellville, Arkansas. We drove over here to help my cousin celebrate his 70th birthday, and uh, God had other plans. He sent a good rain, and I was telling people when I got out and Page in Luke's yard yesterday after the rain ceased and the sun came out, uh, just like walking on a sponge. I had on my hay dudes and they're still wet. And I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you this morning. You just made uh, this wonderful trip that we had just the, the, even better. This is sort of uh, the icing upon a cake and uh, I was able to spend time with with family, my daughter and her husband are here, and of course Paige and Luke, uh, and Randy and Janet, just family, you know, but I, all of them take a back seat to the little guy. Uh, sorry about that, but uh, little Hawk, he, he, he comes first, and I, I appreciate uh, just being able to be with them. I, I'll uh, try to be brief in my remarks this morning, but I've got some things that I want to say. Uh, as a matter of fact, this is a, a, a lesson that I even was able to uh, uh, preached when I was in Russellville, Arkansas, and I thought that uh, uh, it may be one that you would enjoy, that you would like, but I direct your attention to the 20th chapter of the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 20, the mother of James and John come to Jesus, and they have a request that, they, that she wants to make to Jesus about her sons, two apostles of Jesus, James and John. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking, him some, asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus said to her, or Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Now I want you to just stop and think about something. And if you look at this from the standpoint of a mother, I get it or even a parent. I get it. I really do. I understand why she came to the Lord with that request because like all mothers, like all parents for that matter, they, we want greatness for our children. We want them to achieve greater success and greater accomplishments than what we were able to, to reach. But she comes to Jesus with this request and Jesus gives her a gentle rebuke. He's not harsh with her, but he's letting her know that her question is somewhat out of order. He said, you do not know what you ask. Now what Jesus does is uh, let her know something that we ought to understand as well. Jesus is pointing out something to her that in his kingdom things are going to be different. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are a great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. So now just think about this. Jesus said, okay, let's talk about greatness here. Greatness in the, in the world is seated in positions of authority. Greatness in the world is achieving great success in the eyes of the world. But let me tell you something. He said, in my kingdom, in my kingdom it's not going to be that way. Greatness is not going to, to be defined the way it's defined in the world. As a matter of fact, he said, greatness in my kingdom is when you become a servant. This is something Glenn was talking about just a little bit in the class this morning. Excellent class. Uh, this morning, I might add. But he talked a little bit about being a, 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 a servant. But Jesus said, now, if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you need to be a servant. Let me, let me pause and, 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 and consider that for just a moment. We often talk about being God's servants. And I would, I, I would say that all of us would say, uh, you know, if we were asked, are you a servant of God? Oh, yeah. Put me down for that. I am, I am a servant of God. Well, what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we say that we are servants of God or we claim to be a, a servant of God? What do we mean by that? For example, there's a couple of passages in the book of Psalms. Psalm says that we are to serve the Lord with fear. Psalm 2 and verse 11. Another Psalm, Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. And I could have put up a legion of verses saying the same thing. What does that mean? 
What does it mean to be a servant of God? I think sometimes our understanding of this, ladies and gentlemen, our understanding of this is somewhat vague, somewhat imprecise. It's often viewed sort of as a nebulous thing. It's unclear. We know we're a servant, but we can't really identify how that looks in real time. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you have got to be a servant. What does it mean to be a servant in the kingdom of God? Well, let's, let, 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 let's uh, pursue that somewhat. Let's consider how some people view being a servant. Uh, some people say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a servant because well, I'm a member of a local congregation. My name is on the roll of the such and such church of Christ, and so I am a servant of God, and my name being on that roll and my picture being in the directory proves that. Yes, I'm a servant. Well, somebody else says, well, I'm a servant because I worship. I go to church. I go to church on a regular basis. And I tell you what, my seat, my pew is very seldom empty. So, yes, I'm a servant of God. Well, how does that look? Well, I, I go to church. Don't they, don't they show you that I'm a servant of God? Uh, somebody else said, well, listen, I think it goes beyond that. I think, I think being a servant of God is standing four square for the truth not veering to the right nor the left to please any man. And I stand for the truth and I'm going to oppose error and I don't care who brings the error in. It may be a family member. It may be a husband. I'm, I, I, I'm against it. And so I tell you what, I stand for the truth. So yeah, that makes me a servant. And someone else says, well, uh, you know, I do all the five avenues and five acts of worship and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm consistent with that and I'm not going to leave off any of these acts of worship. And yes, I, I'm a servant of God and that proves it. Or I, I, I check all of the religious boxes that I need to check. I, I, I do the do's and I avoid the don'ts. Or somebody else, well, I've been baptized. Yeah, that makes me a servant of God. Well, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. We can do all of these things that are listed here on the chart. And I'm not minimizing any of these. All of these are important. And don't think that I am, you know, vilifying these. I am not. But we can do all of these things and still not be a servant in the way Jesus described being a servant. And this ought to challenge us. This ought to, this ought to get right down into the psyche of who we are. Am I a true servant of God? And I may do all of these things, and still not be God's servant the way that Jesus described being God's servant. Because you see, being a servant of God means that I serve other people. It means I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. What Jesus said in Matthew 23 punctuates that. But he who is greatest among you shall be what? Your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Being a servant of God means that I serve his people. It means I serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I can, I can tout all day all of the good things that I do in worship and the hours that I spend in study and the hours that I spend in prayer. But if I am not serving my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not serving God's people, then I am a fraud. I'm not a servant of God. In Mark, Jesus points out in chapter 9 and verse 35, He sat down and called the twelve and said to them, Oh, here it is, guys. If anyone desires to be first, he should be last of all, and what, Jesus said, and servant of all. Now this is always kind of interesting to me because it seems that the apostles, it seems like the early disciples had a problem with this. And I've got to tell you, if they had a problem with it, I know we have a problem with it. But those early disciples had a problem with it and, and, and that sort of boils to the surface over the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. 
Because these disciples now were having a big argument. They didn't want to be servants. They wanted to be celebrities in God's kingdom. Now I want you to notice what's said in verse 24 of Luke 22. There was also a dispute among them. That is, this is among the disciples. This is among the apostles. Now what were they disputing? What was it they were arguing about? Well, they were arguing about who should be considered the greatest among them. Now, hold on here, folks. I, I, I want you to wrap your mind around that. I, I want you to get a visual here. Here are these apostles. Now, we can talk about Thaddeus and Lebius and, 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 and Philip and, and Simon and Judas and Peter and Andrew and James and John and, and all of these guys getting together. Now, who comes up with this? Hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's take a vote and see who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom, which is the greatest apostle that Jesus has. Can you picture that? Oh, here's old Peter, you know, and possibly old Peter stands up. And he said, well, hey, guys, I tell you what, I think it's a no-brainer. We'll vote for me. After all, you know, I'm sort of impetuous and I, 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 I'm a spokesman for the crowd and, and, and I'm in the inner three. You know, I was up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, so hey, let's all hands for Peter. Uh, let's see it. Well, Andrew says, well, not me. I'm not voting for you, Peter. I, as a matter of fact, I'm the one that brought you to Jesus. And so I'm voting for Andrew. You know, this is disgusting. This is a disgusting display among the people who should be servants of Christ, wanting to be great. I tell people, you know, Paige's younger brother one time, when he was like in the first or second grade, Adam, he, uh, he I, I didn't understand it because, you know, when I was in school, I, school to me was prison. And, and, <laughs> but, you know, Adam, he, he's, he, he's going to campaign for office. I don't know what the office was. I didn't know you had offices in kindergarten or in uh, elementary school. Like I say, I didn't run in those circles, but Adam was, he, he was campaigning for something. And came election day. Adam comes home from school, and so his mama asked him, well, Adam, did you win? No, I didn't win. Oh, poor guy said, how, well, how many votes did you get? He said, I don't know. She said, well, don't worry about it. So you got one. He said, who? I mean, you got to know Adam. Who? You know, who, who voted? Well, she said, well, you, you certainly voted for yourself. He said, no, I voted for my friend. <laughs> well, I got to tell you now, Adam wouldn't fit in with this bunch of apostles here. You know, they're, they're voting for each other. You know, who's the greatest? And Jesus comes in and he said, well, hold on, guys. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Now, Luke doesn't record this. You have to go to John's Gospel. Because in the context of all of this, something is occurring in the Gospel of John that illustrates what Jesus just said in verse 26 uh, uh, to, to these apostles about being servants. Now, in John's account, we read, After that, he poured, the wa poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, Jesus said, hold on, guys. You over here, you arguing about this? You're fussing and want to know who's the greatest in the kingdom? Well, it's the one that serves. Let me show you what that means. So Jesus takes off his outer robe, wraps a towel around himself, and he kneels down and he starts washing these disciples' feet who just voting as to who is the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus said, now that's being a servant. That's what servitude looks like. And it's by, by the way, I'm leaving you an example for you to follow. Now Jesus is not instituting foot washing in an assembly. What Jesus is instituting is a humble servant attitude and heart in the minds of his disciples. This is what it looks like. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, it may mean that you have to get down and wash a brother's feet. But I can hear us today, whoa, no, 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 not me. I, 
feet. Mm -mm, that's gross. I'm not touching anybody's foot. Well, here's the deal. Sometimes we have to do things that are gross in order to be a servant. Sometimes, sometimes we may have to do something that's even somewhat disgusting to be a servant. What it means is that we have to get out of our little, you know, very small box, comfort box that we have in order to be a servant. Because greatness in the kingdom of God is being a servant. Now, I tell you what let's do. Let's think about true servants, not full celebrities, in the New Testament. Because it, just yeah, picture after picture after picture. As a matter of fact, you want to see what a servant is? Let's look in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. Paul talks about a lady in the church at Sincrea named Phoebe who he says is a servant. He's not saying she's a deacon or a deaconess, but he says she's a servant in the church. I don't know what she did, but God did. I don't know what she did, but Paul knows because he, hi he highlights her. She may have been like Tabitha or Dorcas in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts who was full of good works and charitable deeds. I don't know what this lady did, but I know she was a servant in that church. And then there is the Apostle Paul. Paul was a servant. Now we sometimes think of him being a great apostle and a great evangelist, someone who established churches, and oh, he wrote nearly half of the New Testament that we have. But here's what he said in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. He said, for, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. For what reason, Paul? Well, that I might win the more. And then he begins listing some things that he does. He said, to the Jew, I become as a Jew. To those who are under the law, as under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. But, by the way, I'm under law to Christ. And he, he says, uh, to the weak, I became as weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means, verse 22, save some. Now he said, this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. You know what I love about Paul? Paul was not wrapped so tight that he was not able to modify in order to serve others. He was not able to, he, he, he was not, you know, wrapped so tight among himself that he couldn't change in order to help somebody or to encourage somebody. Or to be a blessing to somebody. I, I got to tell you, it, 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 it's, it's a bad day in the kingdom, folks. When we just want to run roughshod over somebody's conscience. When we just want to run roughshod over somebody's faith. That's a bad day in the kingdom of God. It's kind of like these guys I was overseas with. I'd go in these, these foreign countries, you know. And some of those folks, they got a different customs than we have. You know, I... Uh, I, I'm sure if I'm invited to your house, you don't expect me to take my shoes off on the porch and walk around in your house barefooted. Maybe some of you do. That's okay. But that is the custom in Nigeria. That is their custom. And it is a major faux pas if you refuse to observe their custom. Well, some of these Americans would go over there, and their attitude was, I'm not taking my shoes off and walking around in that dirty house in my stocking feet. And so they just go barging in, wrapped so tight in their, in their opinion of themselves that they just run roughshod over the conscience of these people. How dare you? That's not a servant. A servant is not going to do that. Paul was a servant and he's showing us how to be a servant. Also, Jesus gives us a parable that really reveals what it's like to be a servant. You know the story. The parable of the Good Samaritan. We know that story so well that I, 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 I probably don't even need to say anything about it. But here it was. This man was beaten up, thrown off to the side of the road like an old possum that's been run over, and robbed and left stripped naked, and, and there he was, lying there. And possibly this was a Jew, because he was going kind of to Jerusalem, you know, from Jericho. Well, help is on the way. Here comes a priest. A priest is walking. 
possibly going to make sacrifices in the temple because the priests were the ones that made temple sacrifices. They were one of the 24 orders that David had set in motion back in the Old Testament. So here he's going to worship. But he sees that guy lying in the ditch. Well, he just walked on. But now here comes another. Here's, here, comes, here, here comes a Levite. Oh, we, we help us on the way. Levites, you know, they assisted the priest in their offerings. And so he's possibly going up there to worship, but here's this guy lying in the ditch. Just walks on by and ignores his needs. A Samaritan. Someone who is hated by the Jews and, the, and, and, and hates the Jews. He comes by and he sees this guy lying there. So you know what he does? He stops and helps the guy. He anoints him with oil. He loads him up on his animal. He takes him to an inn. He gives two days wages to that innkeeper and says, you take care of him. If I owe you any more when I get back, I'll take care of that. And Jesus said, this is, this is loving your neighbor. This is serving. And go and do likewise. That's, that's, that's the attitude behind a servant. Not just somebody who wants to appear to be great in the kingdom. And as the Apostle Paul said, all believers are to be servants. How, you know, through love, serve one another. Now what we need to remember is that when we stand before God in judgment, I'm going to return to this. You're going to forget I said this. And I'm going to return to this. But Jesus points out that all judgment is going to be based upon servanthood. Now you remember, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Well, let's consider, let's consider a true servant. Okay? Now I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a heads up here. We're going to consider what a true servant looks like based upon Scripture. And then at the end of that, for the last few moments of the sermon, we're going to take a test. And we're going to see where we fit in. And I'm going to tell you right now, it may, because it does me, it may make some of you feel uncomfortable. Because when I go through this, it makes Sue and I feel uncomfortable. But what I want to look at first is what a true servant looks like insofar as Scripture is concerned. Well, in the first place, a true servant is continually available to serve. No one, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 4, engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Translate. Put it in today's vernacular. What that means is if you're a servant, you do not have so many irons in the fire that you can't go help somebody. What that means is that we're not going to fill our lives with pursuits that rob us from the opportunity to serve other people. The Bible tells us in Psalm 110 and verse 3 that your people, that is the people of God, shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Now what this means is, very simply... Uh, is that, I, I, you, you know what, if the, if the only time, if the only time that I help someone or the only time that I serve someone is when it's totally convenient with me, then I'm not really a servant. We say, Jr. what do you mean by that? Well, it's like this. Can, can, can somebody's needs mess up your schedule and you not get upset about it? Now let's think about that. Can someone's needs upset your schedule and you not get upset about it? Kind of be like this. Kind of be like this, you know. It may be, it may be, it, it may be NCAA tournament time. And our favorite team is playing in the finals on that Monday night. And we're all geared. We're all geared for that final game. And so we're all sitting there, we've got our snacks, we've got our drinks, we've got our friends there, and we're all in front of that big screen TV, and we're waiting for the NCAA championship game. And the phone rings, and it's a brother from church that tells you, you know, my, my hot water heater's gone out, and, 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 it's, and it's got a leak in it, and it's flooding all over the house. Can you come and help me? 
Now that's somebody's need messing up your schedule. So what do you do? What do you do? Oh, you got to be kidding me. Oh, this, I can't believe, I, I, yeah, I guess I can come over. I'll be over. But see, we're just so upset about, is that a true servant? Really? Can someone's needs mess up my schedule and it not upset me? I'm telling you, if it upset, I might well sit there and watch the game and eat my pretzels and drink my Pepsi because I don't have a heart of a servant. I'm not a true servant. Because a true servant is continually available to serve. I say, I say, tell you something else about that. That means that I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm available to everybody. To everybody. Not just to the friends that I have, the ones that I'm close to. For example, it may be, it may be Bob that has, these are just names I'm pulling out of the air. It may be Bob that has the need with the hot water heater and so forth. And he calls me and I say, yeah, Bob, I'll be right there, man. I'll be right there because, you know, what I like, Bob, we're golfing buddies. And we have a lot in common. I like Bob. But then it could be, it, 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 it could be Ralph over here. Ralph, you know, I don't, I don't get along real well with Ralph. We don't hardly even speak to each other at church. And Ralph's got a problem. And, and, and he has the audacity to call me. And Ralph, I'd like to, my friend, but I can't do it right now. Jesus says something about loving those who only love you. And he condemns that. Now, if I've got the heart of a servant, I'm going to be continually available to serve. But I'll tell you what else that means. That means that I am going to uh, not only be continually available, I'm going to be constantly attentive to the needs of others. You know, Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What this means is, I'm going to jump in. I see a need, I'm going to jump in and help with that need. Several years ago, back in I think about 2011, I don't know if you read about it here, there was a big storm come up during the Indiana State Fair. There was a concert going on, and a big pavilion out there, and winds came up and blew that pavilion down, and a lot of people were trapped, several were killed. People sitting in the grandstands, you know, they were unaffected by that. But when that happened, when that happened, many of those people in the grandstands that were not affected by the wind, they rushed out there where that canopy had fallen in order to help. And Brad was one. He was all over television. He's probably going to hit me for telling telling this. But he was out there, and and I, I remember that big old yellow shirt he had on out there trying to help these people. But, but, but the point is, this is the attitude of servants. Servants rush in and, and, in order to help. They see a need, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to take care of that need. And they don't have to be told. Now, it may not be as dramatic as what I just described here of a canopy falling and people being killed or injured or maimed. No. It may be something very simple. It may be, in the words of Jesus, Matthew 10 and verse 42, just giving a cup of cold water in His name. But that's serving. It may be providing food for the sick, cleaning for the elderly, or taking someone to the the doctor, or doing yard work for someone who is, is unable to do yard work, or just giving somebody a ride to worship. These are just little things that we can do if we are cognizant, if we're aware of the... But I'll tell you what we do. I tell you, we, we, we do like these two ladies that I, that I heard about. You know, most churches, when they make the announcements, they'll talk about not only those who are sick, but some churches have those we refer to as shut-in. You know, the elderly or the infirmed who can't get out and so they're sort of confined to their, 
uh, assisted living home or they're confined to their home and they're, they're shut-ins. We know what a shut-in is. And so a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hear announcements being made that, uh, well, now, let, 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 let's remember uh, sister this and sister that. Uh, th these are shut-ins of this congregation. Let's, let's pray for them and let's do what we can for them. So one day, a couple of ladies at church, they decided, well, we're going to go over and see sister this and that. We're, we're, going, we're, we're, we're going to visit the shut-in. So these two ladies, you know, they get together and they go over to, to the sister's house and they knock on, the, knock on the door, the back door, and they hear through the door, they hear a faint, it's open, come on in. So they walk in. And they enter into the kitchen, and they notice that the kitchen sink is just filled full of dirty dishes. And here's the trash can over here. It's just overflowing with trash. And there's paper cartons for people who brought in. There's pizza cartons and just laying all over the place. And they look into the living room, and there's a little sister sitting in there in her wheelchair with her lap cover over. And they notice all the dust all over the the, the blinds and the newspapers strewn about, and they look in, they see the bedroom is just as bad disarray as anything. And so they go in there and they pull up a couple of chairs and brush them off and sit down and they start talking to this sister and they, they visit for a while and finally one of them said, well, we don't mean to keep you. So we, we, we need to go, but, uh, but before we go, let me say, now if there's anything we can do for you, just let us know. You know what that did? That salved their conscience, but it didn't serve. If there's anything we can... Hey, ladies, how about washing those dirty dishes in the side? How about emptying the garbage here? How about dusting the blinds? You know, that things that you can... Are you perceptive? A true servant is somebody who is always available and always attentive to the needs of others. And i got to tell you something else. A servant is free from excuses. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Romans 10, or Romans 12 rather, verses 9 and 10. What's the excuses that we often give? I will one of these days. I, 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 I will when I, when, when I get around to it. I, I, I'll be glad to help. I'll be glad to jump in and do what I can when the time is right. But time's not right right now. So, you know, what I'm doing is I, I'm not giving preference here. I'm making excuses. Sort of reminds me of the horticultural illustration that the writer of Ecclesiastes had to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 4. He said, he who observes the wind will not sow. And let me tell you what he means by that. Here's a guy that needs to put a crop out. Here's a guy that needs to get the wheat field sown. And he says, you know, today would be a good day to do that. But you know, I think this wind is a little, you know, I'm going to wait till the, uh, the day when the wind's not quite up like it is today. Well, the writer said, well, if you observe the you'll not, you won't get around to this. That day will never happen. And then he says also in verse 4, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Here's a guy who needs to get the corn in, needs to get the hay in. Uh, you know what? I, I would do this, but you know, I see a little cloud over here. It looks like it might rain after a while. So I'm not going to do it. Well, he said, well, if that's the case, you never will reap. And that's the way it is, ladies and gentlemen, when we tend to begin making excuses. Well, I tell you what, get somebody else. They can do a much better job than I can do. Why don't you get somebody else to do this? You need some help? Get so-and-so. He'll do a lot better job. She'll do a lot better job than I will. I'm just making excuses. You know. You know, I'll tell you a couple of things. Once I was in a meeting in northern Illinois, Staying with an elder and his wife up there. Sue, Sue wasn't with me at the time. And one night we came home from services and we went in the house, changed our clothes, sat around talking. The elder said to me, he said, Brother J.R., do you remember, and he described this lady at church and told me your name. I said, yeah, I do. I remember her. A very pleasant lady. 
He said, well, she said tonight that she wants to take you out to lunch tomorrow. And I knew she was living in an assisted living home on fixed income. And I said to the elder, I said, well, that is so sweet, but I would be happy to take her to lunch. He said, oh, no, no, don't, 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 don't go there. He said, you will offend her. I said, okay. So we made arrangements, and I went the next day at about 11.30, quarter to 12, to her assisted living home, drove up, parked in the parking lot, walked up to the door, and she was standing by the door of the building. And she saw me walking up, and she'd come out. And so she and I started walking together, and I thought we were walking to my car, but we were not. And I watched where she was walking. She was walking across the parking lot of this assisted living home to the street out there, and across the street was a little community hospital. And so I fall in line with her, and, and she sees I'm sort of confused, and she says, well, she said, I, I want you to know, I always take my lunch at the hospital. Okay. Uh, Y'all like hospital food? I mean, if you had a chance to go to Cracker Barrel or the hospital cafeteria, where would you go? I mean, really, I, you know, so I'm okay. And so she said, well, okay, we're going to the hospital. And so we go over there, and, and, and we walk in this, this cafeteria. You know, there's a few people in there, and, and, and the workers are there. And so we walk in, and the first thing that she does is she kind of leads me up to where all these people. She says, this is the man that I was telling you about. He's holding our gospel meeting, and you need to come and hear him preach. And so I'm, I'm like, you know, so I'm shaking hands with everybody, you know, and then we go through the line, and we, we get our food, and the rolls are hot, and the potatoes are hard, and the meat's got to, but anyway. <laughs> so, we, 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 but I'm going to tell you something. I had a lot better meals that, that week that I was there, but I never had a better time than I did with this dear lady. Because like the woman with the alabaster flask in the Bible, she simply did what she could. I want to show hospitality. And so she did it. And I hear people say, well, I can't do that. I can't do Come on. We can do what we can. It may not be something great. It may be taking somebody to the hospital cafeteria for lunch. We can do those things. There was another incident that happened over here in Cumberland County, Kentucky some years ago, uh, and I was again invited into a home for an evening meal during a gospel meeting, and the couple that I was invited, they had other people there, but her brother lived with her. He was about 50, 51 years old, and he had downs, and we all loved him, and we called him Big Boy. Philip was a great guy, and Big Boy was just, just, just so, he had been baptized, uh, don't know how much he knew, but I knew, or he knew that he needed the Lord, so that he made that decision. But anyway, we're over, we're over there for supper. And so the lady of the house, big boy's sister, says to me, she said, uh, uh, J.R. said, uh, big boy wants to offer thanks, but after he finishes his prayer, would you say grace for us? And I, I didn't get a chance to answer, but I'm telling you, that's odd. I mean, that's really odd. And so big boy, he launches, launches into his prayer. And he, the, 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 the more he prayed, the faster he talked. The faster he talked, the less I understood. And he just goes through this and he prays and prays and prays. And, and, and finally, in Jesus' name, amen. And the sister says, now, Brother J.R., would you say grace? I said, man, with all due respect, I'm going to decline. Because I can't improve on the prayer the big boy just led. Let's see. He did what he could. And when I think of men in the congregation that refuse to lead in prayer, refuse to just do something little, I think of big boy. Just do what you can. Don't make excuses. That's what a servant is. A servant is somebody that's going to do what he can. It may not be the greatest thing. I'm going to do what I can. And a servant is of humble character. He doesn't call attention to himself. He doesn't, hey, look at what I've done. 
Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, I, I don't know. Well, I, I, I did. Did y'all see what I did? You, 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 you see the work that I've been doing? No, a servant doesn't do that. A servant's like the Lord. How many times did you ever read in the scriptures, Jesus says, well, hey guys, I want, to, I want you. Y'all see, I, I, rubbed some, I, I rubbed some mud on this guy's eyes and he, he's able to see. Now, did you see what I did? Hey, did you see that these two guys, these were lepers. I mean, these guys were white with leprosy and I healed them. Did you see what I did? No, Jesus, matter of fact, on many occasions, Jesus said, hey, don't tell anybody what's happened here. Matthew 8 and verse 4. Mm -mm. Just go show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anybody. And, and, and that's, that's the way a true servant is. He doesn't tout himself. He doesn't say, well, I'm doing it all. He just does. Because he or she is a servant. I remember, I remember when I first started preaching. I was having lunch with a, with, with, with a fellow who been preaching a lot longer than I. And we were kind of just... You know, just having a real interesting discussion. And, uh, I think we were at uh, Church's Chicken in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we, we were just talking, and, and, and he, he, he asked me this question. He said, uh, oh, J.R., let me ask you. He said, hey, since you've been preaching, said, how many people you baptized? I said, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I, I don't know. I, uh, he said, you don't know how many people you... I said, well, I baptized several, but I, I don't know how many. And he was a little incredulous. You don't know how many people you baptized? I said, no. Do you? And he pulls this little flip folder out of his... And he's got them listed, man. He starts at number one and two and three and four and places and names and, and all of this. And I'm looking at this and I'm just flabbergasted. And I'm really feeling ashamed. Was I supposed to do this? I didn't know about this, you know. And, 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 and so finally, you know, he just kind of chastised me a little bit for not knowing and not keeping a record. And I told him, I said, well, I'm going to stop you right there. And I'm going to just tell you how, where I am on this. I, I didn't know that the Lord wanted me to keep score. If I knew that, I'd have kept score. But I didn't know that. But here's the thing. I don't believe real servants keep score. I think they just do what they can. And move on. Well, one other thing before we have our test. A real servant is always dependable. A true servant, uh, you can count on me. I'll, I'll, you need to get to, I'll, I'll, I'm busy. I, I, you know, I, I'm working 12 hours a day, but, but I'll do this. Because that's the attitude of a servant. And, and when he does or she does, it's not a halfway job. It doesn't get, you know, doesn't grow discouraged and, and, and quit. And a servant doesn't go back on his or her commitments. You know, if I said I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll get her done. And that, that, that's a servant. Now, now, we've got listed here on, on the chart a true servant. A true servant is continually available, constantly attentive, free from excuses, humble character, always dependable. Now it's time to answer the question. What about me? Am I a servant? Do I, re do I manifest all those qualities that we just talked about here? Now this may, as I said a moment ago, cause us to feel a little bit uncomfortable. But it makes me feel uncomfortable too. You ready? Let's get her going. Am I a servant? Can I consider myself a true servant if all the years that I've been a Christian, I've never tried to teach a lost person the gospel? Family members, friends, my barber, my beautician, people at the market, people I interact with at work, if I go on my daily life and I never say anything to them about their soul and about the gospel, how can I say I'm a servant of God? How can I say I'm a servant of others? If all the years, if I've been a Christian for 40 years 
If I've been a Christian for 50 years, if I've been a Christian for five years, and I haven't in that time tried to teach somebody the gospel, now I can't guarantee the results. It's God, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 7, who gives the increase. I can't guarantee the results. It would be presumptuous on my part to do that. But I'll tell you what, I can guarantee the effort. And if I have not, Try to teach somebody? How can I possibly say that I am a servant? Secondly, how can I say I'm a servant if I've never tried to encourage the laborers in God's kingdom? Whether it be elders, whether it be preachers, deacons, Bible class teachers, servants, if, I, if, I'm, not, if I'm not trying to encourage them, then I'm going to tell you, I'm discouraging them and I am not a servant. Not at all. You know, I, 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 think, about, I think about Barnabas. Barnabas was a trope. You know, his name was Joseph. And they changed his name to Barnabas, which meant the son of encouragement, because every time somebody needed encouraging, whether it was Paul, whether it was the disciples at Jerusalem, whether it was the new church at Antioch, wherever it was, they sent Barnabas because he was an encourager. He was going to build people up, not tear people down. That's a servant. I, I look back in the years that, that I started preaching. I started preaching over here in Washington County, Kentucky. And I'm going to tell you, I, 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 I was green as grass and, and, and dumb as a post. And, and there were some people there that were so kind and generous and, and, and good to me. They, they would encourage me. And, and I remember one of the elders uh, in the congregation were saying, I obeyed the gospel, Brother Raymond Nash, one of the most godly good men. And my memory of him is just like Paul's memory of the Philippians. And I thank God that I had a relationship with him because he encouraged me. And, 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 and he would help me and he, he, he would push me. And he was my Barnabas. And those are things that we need. And if I'm not a Barnabas, I'm a destroyer, and I can't say that I'm a servant. How can I say I'm a servant if I don't visit the sick, and I don't comfort the hurting, and I don't try to heal up the brokenhearted? How can I say I'm a servant? Oh, I may be at church all the time. I may stand four square for the truth. But if I come in and and there may be a brother or sister in here that's going through something that they need some help. And I just walk on by and I find my seat and I just ignore them and maybe tears are on their face and I don't go over and try to help them and comfort them. And Is there something I can do? I want to help you. You look like you're hurting. Or maybe visiting somebody in the hospital. You know, I hear people say, well, you know, I'd like to go visit Brother Jones over here, but he's got cancer and I don't want to see him and I don't, I, I don't want to see him and that kind of, I just want to remember him how he used to lead singing. And I don't want to go over and see him as he's laying in the hospital dying. Why? He needs you. He needs for you to go help him pass through the valley of the shadow of death. And how can I say I'm a servant if I don't do that? Oh, I may be doing all these other things that we talked about, but am I, heal, am I helping to hurt the, uh, heal the hurting and, and, and bind up the brokenhearted and visiting the sick? How can I say I'm a servant if I've never in my life tried to teach a Bible class? If I've just been a parasite all my life, just sucking the information out of the hosts and yet not turn around and do what I can? to help and encourage and teach others. How can I say I'm a servant? How can I say I'm a servant if I've never sacrificed to help those who are in need? I can't say I'm a servant if I don't do that. I, I may be just like the priest and the Levite and I just walk on by and I may, I may be able to salve my conscience and say, well, I'll tell you what, this family's in the shape that they're in because they made some stupid decisions. And so we just let them suffer because of the decisions that they made. And maybe the next time they'll make better decisions. You know what? That may be the case. And I may be able to look at that, at that man that was beaten and left on the side of the road that the Samaritan come up and helped. And I may say, you know what? He made a dumb decision to walk on this road by himself because he knew they were crooks out here. But, and so he's responsible. You know what? 
The responsibility of a servant is I'm going to bind up the hurting and I'm going to stop the bleeding and then I'll address should you have done this or not. How can I say that I'm a servant if I'm not willing to sacrifice to help somebody that's in need? Are you a servant? Like I said, this caused me to feel uncomfortable and perhaps you as well. But let me close out our study by reading with you some passages that I think are very important here. In the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a judgment scene. A judgment scene that you and I will be in one day. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? When, when, when was this? And then he will answer them saying, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You saw a need, and you didn't help. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And my question, as we close this study, why were these people lost? Were they lost because they embraced false doctrine? Were they lost because they worshiped God with instruments of music or innovations? Now those things are important, but that's not why these people were lost. These people were lost simply because they were not servants. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you a servant? Are you a servant of God? If you're not, you need to become a Christian right now. And not delay that, not postpone that, not put it off. But you need to become a Christian right now by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Him, and being immersed, baptized in water for the remission of your sins, and be raised to walk in newness of life. And part of that walk is being a true servant of God and of others. You're subject to the invitation. Why don't you come right now? Together we stand as we sing.